You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed. In the name of Allah, the gracious and merciful, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the breakfast show of the Voice of Islam with uh, Imams uh, Toki Tanweer and Imam Uli Demet, as well as myself, Uli Demet. Uh, the time is two minutes past seven. It is September the 30th, 2022. Uh, we have, as always, a packed show this morning at the uh, breakfast show. Uh, it is uh, very much an interactive broadcast. Uh, looks forward to our listeners uh, joining in in the discussions that we may be having. Uh, during the course of the program, all you need to do is to pick up the phone and dial 0208-687-7878 and share your thoughts with us. Alternatively, you can tweet us at The Voice of Islam UK. Uh, we have, uh, as I said, uh, a host of different uh, stories that we will be considering. First of all, very briefly, those stories that are doing the rounds in the wider media. And then we'll look at uh, two stories that have particularly caught our attention that we want to deal with in some depth. Uh, the first is a topic that concerns that very difficult period that all youngsters have to pass through uh, when going, uh, when growing to adulthood, and uh, that is the teenage years. Uh, teenagers are very much accused of sleeping too much, for example, uh, but apparently not sleeping enough, according to this study, may have adverse effects. Uh, it claims, and this is the title of our first topic, insufficient sleep in teenagers is associated with being overweight and obesity. So if they don't sleep enough, then uh, they may well uh, grow um, unhealthily, uh, unhealthily and become, become, become obese. Well, that's what this story says, and we'll be exploring that later on in the course of the program. If... Um, you do have a, a view on that, then please do ring in and share your views uh, and share those thoughts with us. 7.30 to 8 o'clock is when we'll be looking at that particular item. Uh, moving on on the second main topic, uh, is duty to a way of life and the responsibility of parents in establishing good routines. Uh, the title of this topic is Parents Adopt Unhealthy Food Routines for Family Wellbeing in Place of Unaffordable Activities. Uh, we will be addressing this uh, from uh, 8 o'clock, uh, just after the 8 o'clock news. Uh, to further our understanding of this topic, we expect to be speaking to Dr. Benita Patel. Uh, she is a nutrition and lifestyle medicine specialist and a qualified nutritional therapist. Uh, we also hope to be joined by a registrar, uh, or no, a registered public health nutritionist uh, with over 16 years working in the schools and much more. Uh, Ms. Sonia Morris is her name, and she will be uh, lending her expertise to help us understand this subject better. So Ms. Uh, Sonia Morris will be joining us after the 8 o'clock news uh, to lend, as I said, her expertise in uh, trying to uh, um, unravel this particular issue. Uh, and in addition to this, we will be sharing two clips uh, of our discussions that we recorded earlier. And uh, the first was with Dr. Uh, Davia Nielsen. Uh, she's an assistant professor in the School of Human Nutrition and uh, William Dawson, a scholar uh, at uh, McGill University. And then we will also be airing the thoughts of Ms. Maria, who spoke to us earlier. Uh, she is a mother of three residing in Canada. 
Uh, so lots to do, lots to cover. And as always, we shall have a full review of the Islamic angle to all we discuss from our leading Imam, uh, Imam Tawqeet and we, as well as from uh, our Imam Wadi Dhamad. So lots to do, lots to cover. Uh, we'll have the weather in a few minutes time, but before we have the weather, let me just uh, go through some of the stories that are doing the rounds. I suppose no guessing of what the main story is. Uh, the main story this week, uh, or should I say, starting from last week, late last week, was the Fiskin event. Um, it was only last Friday, in fact, since we had this announcement, the announcement of this uh, approach that the government was going to be taking, the new government and the list trust. Um, it wasn't uh, described as a budget, um, uh, but a fiscal event and a mini budget, budget at best. But the impact it has had has been devastating and dominated our news media covering the uh, chaos it has unleashed. Uh, confidence in the economy of the UK has been shattered, as indicated by the fall in the pound. Uh, it settled down to one, I think, 108 it was this morning, uh, the lowest ever it has ever been. Uh, it means our imports are more expensive, and that is going to aggravate rising prices. So whatever we're passing through in terms of inflation and rising prices, it, this is uh, this particular action, it seems, is uh, going to get worse. Uh, the salient features of the mini-budget was to put a cap on energy prices such that a typical household will pay no more than £2,500 as opposed to what was expected would have been typical household bills of six to six and a half thousand. That was a good bit. But the controversial aspects were the cancellation of the raising of corporation tax to 25% and it reduced it to 19% uh, to cut basic rate of income tax down to 19% from 20% and what caused greatest consternation was the abolition of the 45% tax rate for those earning uh, in excess of £150,000 uh, a year. And this was a case, critics said, was looking after the rich instead of the poorer section of society. It was an assertion echoed by the IMF's verdict that this intervention broadened the gap between the rich and the poor, all compounded by the fact that any cap on uh, very richly paid bankers' bonuses was lifted. Uh, as far as the loss in confidence was concerned in the world markets, this was rooted in an absence of an independent analysis of the government's plans. Uh, this is normally provided by the Office of Budget Responsibility, which reports on the credibility of the government's plans. But since this fiscal event was not a budget in name, the Chancellor was um, free to tell the institution not to prepare such a report. And that resulted in catastrophic consequences. Uh, the other issue that the world markets have and did have is that the government's proposals uh, needed to be funded by billions of pounds, all of which were going to be funded by borrowing. Then there was a criticism of the government's economic policy in that by introducing tax cuts, it was making more money available for people to spend, which in turn was going to increase inflation at a time and the Bank of England was trying to fend off uh, raising uh, interest rates. The direct consequence of the government's measures will mean that the Bank of England will raise interest rates, and this has been uh, uh, well documented and well announced. It will need to raise, uh, raise interest rates much more than before. And one of the consequences of this is that the mortgage interest rates will rocket, 
this spell dooms for thousands that have mortgages or those who are trying to get on the housing ladder. In defense of the government, its supporters are saying that these policies that the government has introduced are needed. They are needed to grow the economy. To plod along as we were through these difficult times was going to get us nowhere. Reducing tax rates will stimulate the economy, grow more businesses and more banking talent to operate from the UK. And by growing the economy, it will provide more to be spent on services that are needed, like the NHS, schools, on our benefits as well. That's a theory, but there are very few that are convinced of this approach. The government has announced, uh, has announced, or had announced, to present its plans in detail on the 23rd of November, accompanied this time by that uh, very crucial OBR forecast, Office of Budget Responsibility forecast. But many believe uh, this will be way too late. Uh, the Prime Minister and Chancellor, if you are listening to the news where it has been announced, are going to be meeting the head of the OBR uh, today, if they haven't met, met uh, already. And this is to bring uh, their uh, forecast forward to early October. So uh, 23rd of November may be something that will be brought forward. Uh, and um, as far as the impact of this uh, intervention by the new government is concerned, well, as far as the political impact is concerned, last night's YouGov poll uh, put Labour in an unprecedented uh, lead in recent times of 33% of the Conservatives, 54% for Labour as opposed to 21% for uh, uh, the Conservatives. So uh, stormy weathers, uh, uh, stormy waters ahead. There is the uh, Conservative conference that is going to be taking place uh, in a few days' time, and uh, there is, seems to be not much enthusiasm uh, among some uh, conservative members, including MPs, uh, for that uh, for that event. Uh, it seems that the wind has gone out of the sails. Long has gone the uh, memory of uh, that uh, dramatic win uh, a few years ago, about three years ago, by led by Mr. Boris Johnson of a 80-seat majority, I now released about 74. But it seems that there may well be a whitewash if we have an election soon, if the mood of the country is the same as it is now. Now, um, I did mention before I uh, went into that, um, uh, that uh, covering that particular story, that uh, we will have the weather by uh, Imam Farid Ahmed. No, over to you, sir. So today, as the BBC says that, after a bright start in the southeast, it will turn wet and windy for all as a band of heavy rain sweeps southeastward, southeastward across the UK. Blustery showers in the northwest in the afternoon. Tonight, the rain will clear to the southeast to leave clear spells for many areas. It will continue to be breezy with scattered blustery showers, particularly in the north, in the northern and the western areas. Oh, thank you very much. Wa alaikum salam. Not very good weather, is it? <laughs> no, Imam Freed has uh, mentioned it. So whatever he said, I fully agree. <laughs> <laughs> but he's just quoting from the BBC weather, you know. I I didn't see that. I just no. heard Imam Freed. So <laughs> okay, because he said it, must be right. And must be true. Okay, yeah, that's, um, that's great, showing great confidence. But I suppose he's a fellow imam, so 
Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, have to be together. Uh, yeah. I mean, th- there's something we wanted to mention to our listeners as well uh, who are tuning in on Friday that uh, we have an additional presenter with us, uh, Imam Farid Ahmed, who is a graduate from Jamia Ahmadiyya. Uh, UK, so um, he's in that training process, and mm. uh, you know you'll you'll be hearing more of Imam Farid. Um, you know he's 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 here, he's prepared, and uh, actually um, one of our senior representatives, uh, KB, uh, mm-hmm. he will he he goes by the initials KB. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's to- he's uh, told me that I should encourage Imam Farid that he should be speaking more. Uh, more in the studio, so I just wanted to mention. That. I don't want to say his full name, no, no, because uh, he's a, he's a senior official, yes, of the uh, breakfast show. Mm-hmm. So he he is listening now. He knows who he is. Okay, no, I, I think I've guessed who it is. Yes, <laughs> he he delivers a, a excellent breakfast. That's not true. just the excellent. show, but excellent breakfast when he comes and delivers the show with you. <laughs> hmm? No, not with me. When, whenever he's there, he'll, he'll bring it for everyone. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Good. Okay. So that's KB. Right. Okay. So if any listeners know who KB is, then please bring in and tell us, uh, reveal his identity. <laughs> I, I just hope KB doesn't call him, call him himself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But uh, Imam Farid has been giving us very good moral support, hasn't he? Yes, absolutely. Um, silently there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I'm, I'm sure that will be more vocal now. Um, so, uh, is, are there any stories that have uh, uh, yes, uh, so, uh, caught your eye? As, as, as uh, our listeners know, uh, we go through not only the news which is happening around the world, but we also tune into some of the news which is happening with regards to the MDM Muslim community as well. And uh, as listeners have been um, tuning in, His Holiness, he is currently on his tour. Um, and uh, just recently this week, on the 27th of September uh, 2022, His Holiness, he inaugurated uh, the mosque Fateh Azim. And uh, th- this was in uh, Zion uh, in USA. And uh, just a brief intro um with regards to Zion. So this was the place uh, where Dr. Dr. Alexander Dowie, he built the city of Zion in Illinois, USA. Um, And this was the person who aggressively started opposing Islam and the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam, the promised Messiah, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him after responding to him and challenged him uh, for a prayer duel, um, Alexander Dowie wrote in Le- in Leaves of Healing um, on February 1903. Uh, during this uh, conversation he had with the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he wrote that I pray to God that Islam is destroyed from the face of the earth. O God, accept my prayer. O God, destroy Islam. And as a result of the prayer duel, uh, Dr. Dowie, he died a miserable death in 1907 at the age of 5059 um and uh, i mean it's it's a very interesting story that you know there there was that uh, particular person and uh, he himself was he was an american who proclaimed that god has in the spirit and power uh, who has in the spirit power uh, spirit and power of elijah sent him and he set forth to spread Christianity, and he also stated that he intended to wipe out Islam. And he made insulting remarks about the 
about the founder of Islam, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon him, and uh, hurled invective at the at the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Um, and uh, you know, he, as I mentioned, that he challenged him to this prayer duel. Um, so it's mentioned in Review of Religions, uh, which is one of the magazines of the Amdiya Muslim community, and this this was some this was the magazine which was initiated from the time of the promised messiah so it is recorded in september 1902 in uh, volume one uh, it says that the best way to determine whether dawi's god is true or ours is that mr dawi should stop making prophecies about the destruction of all muslims and instead he should keep me alone in his mind and pray that if one of us is fabricating a lie he should die before the other so th- this this was the the prayer to amongst amongst Dr. Tawi and uh, the promised Messiah peace be upon him and his holiness he responded uh, he, he further observed and he said that if Dawi runs away from this challenge uh, be sure that a great catastrophe is about to befall on Zion and when Dr. Dawi was told of this prayer duel he himself boasted um, and this mentioned in, in leaves of healing um, which was published on 27th of December 1903 he said that can you imagine me answering to these to these uh, gants and flies then if i if i put my foot down on them i could crush them to death so he very much uh, boasted and he had accepted this challenge however eventually he was punished for his ignorance and was chastised according to the prophecy of the promised messiah peace be upon him and his wife and son turned against him and did not attend his funeral. He could not speak because of a stroke of paralysis on December the 19th, 1905, while he was giving a speech. And his followers even deserted him after finding out that he had embezzled um, over $2 million, $2.5 million, um, that he led a lustful life and was an alcoholic. And his new newly built city, Zion, um, and this is from 70 kilometers north of Chicago, this was torn by internal dissension in the first week of March 1907, and he died in utter grief and misery and helplessness. And uh, the WordPress took special interest in this uh, mobile and this prayer duel, and over 30 newspapers in the U.S. published the news story. The Boston Herald, in, in its issue, of June the 23rd, 1907. It observed that, uh, and I quote, that Dowie died with his friends away from him and his fortune dwindled. He suffered from paralysis and insanity and he died a miserable death with Zion City, torn and frayed by internal dissension. And Mirza comes forward frankly and stated that he has won his challenge. So uh, this was something which was uh, very much remarkable and it proves the truthfulness of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Um, and uh, and, and uh, now, by the grace of God Almighty, uh, within that city, that uh, city, you know, once where, uh, which was built by Dr. Alexander Dawi himself, is now, um, you know, a, a mosque of, mm. of the Amdiya Muslim community, which has now been inaugurated. Okay. So th- this is something which which I wanted to uh, mention that his uh, his holiness personally um, has inaugurated the mosque himself. Oh, great! Thanks very much. Uh, very very interesting. Um, Imam Parid will be uh, introducing the main story in a few minutes' time. 
is about insufficient sleep in teen- teenagers associated with overweight and obesity. I don't know what your thoughts are, but um, uh, if there are any thoughts, then please uh, hold fire for a few minutes um, because uh, we're still covering some of the other stories that are circulating around in the wider media. Uh, one of them is, re- is Russia's annex- annexation or impending annexation. Uh, Russia has carried out uh, a, a referendum in uh, four uh, of the areas that uh, it has uh, uh, subjugated or it has, uh, had, has secured control over. Um, this, these are the areas of uh, Luhansk, Donetsk, uh, in the east of uh, Ukraine, and in the south, uh, Kherson and Zaporizhia. Now, um, as far as um, its annexation is concerned, it was preceded by a referendum uh, in these areas. It yielded 90% uh, plus vote in favor of becoming part of Russia. And uh, this is, as I may have indicated, uh, due to be formalized later uh, today in a special ceremony in the Red Square in Moscow. Uh, The West has called the referendum a sham, uh, refused to accept its validity, uh, and refused to accept uh, its annexation. Uh, And uh, what else uh, it has done is to vow to increase its sanctions on Russia. So that's uh, Russia's punishment. Now, um, annexation, whether you accept it or not, is uh, one matter. But uh, there are consequences that are going to be a bit problematic. Why? Because any attack by Ukraine on these areas will be deemed to be an attack on Russia now, as far as Russians are concerned, and an attack on its sovereignty and something uh, uh, that uh, President Putin has said earlier that he would use all available means uh, to defend, that he would protect uh, the entirety of Russia. So any attack to try and uh, secure these uh, areas back from Ukraine are going to be uh, dealt with uh, very seriously, it seems, and the nuclear option might well also be on the table, and this was confirmed by another statement by President Putin. He made that uh, last week, which is, uh, and I quote, those who are trying to blackmail us with nuclear weapons should know that the wind can also turn in their direction. So it was an ominous ominous threat there uh, that uh, was made. Some experts believe that uh, we should, um, that with the resources that Russia has, uh, Ukraine is not going to be any match for it. Uh, it's all very well to prop up Ukraine with Western me- weapons, but uh, this is only going to pro- prolong the war and not change the result, which is inevitable. Not only that, but um, the sanctions that we have imposed, and those are going to be increased, appear to be hurting us more than them, it can be argued. Uh, our energy costs have soared. Uh, our prime minister keeps on mentioning this war when uh, talking about the difficulties we are passing through. And uh, at a time when Russia seems to be having a field day with the rising energy revenue, uh, the 
more uh, rising revenue that it has earned due to the hike in the world uh, markets as far as uh, the sale of energy is concerned. So uh, it is very much prudent to uh, consider more seriously the prospect of uh, forging a peace. George Orwell rather than uh, World War uh, is perhaps more uh, appropriate here and perhaps that would also ease uh, the suffering that many are uh, uh, are enduring uh, throughout the world because of this war and the sanctions and the high energy prices that seem to have resulted. Uh, is there anything else, uh, Imam Tukri, that you you have? Because uh, Imam Puri is going to introduce the first uh, first main uh, main topic, but not just yet, because we've still got five minutes. Um, have you been uh, watching uh, Pakistan uh, versus uh, England, the cricket matches? No, I, I've been uh, hearing about it, uh, but I haven't watched it. So, uh, so I'm, you know, we, many of us are in groups, aren't we? In, in yeah, WhatsApp groups. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm introduced to this. What's happening in those? I, I in think those actually, groups. Farid, you've you've been following uh, Pakistan yeah. versus uh, England, right? Yeah. Um, so these matches have been uh, happening in. Uh, they have been happening in, uh, in Pakistan, and uh, this is the tweet T20, and uh, so far, uh, I believe six matches have happened. And uh, or f- uh, sorry, five matches have happened, and uh, there are just two matches which are left. And uh, today, um, Pakistan will also be facing England. Uh, so there's just two more matches left, and I believe that uh, Pakistan they 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 have won more matches. Uh, they <laughs> they they've won they won three matches. Yeah, three matches you're saying, and two England have won two. Okay. Uh, that's, yeah, so uh, yeah, that that's been very thrilling. Um, so that's five, 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 matches. five matches in total. So, so one to go, two, two more to two go, two more to two go. More Maybe to seven go. altogether. Right? Seven altogether. Yeah, okay. and Pakistan have won three, and England have only won two. Um, but it's it's been uh, very, um, you know, the cr- the in, uh, crowd have loved it in Pakistan mm-hmm. because uh, essentially uh, it's, it's after a very long time, um, mm. England has had the opportunity to go to Pakistan and play over there because obviously the 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 sist- it's the situation hasn't been that great uh, for the past uh, decade decades or many decades as as mm. I would say so because of that it, it has affected uh, countries from overseas going to Pakistan and play but um didn't australia go recently uh, uh australia visited pakistan recently no or they, 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 they did they uh-huh. did uh, but England personally haven't gone themselves so ah, okay. this is why um, it has been uh, exceptional and uh, you know the crowd mm-hmm. have uh, thoroughly loved it so I uh, just wanted to mention the news regarding the sports do you think don't you think that um, T20 is a bit of hit and miss uh, you know, it's not so much based on on skill of a batsman or a bowler. I actually think that because of, uh, I mean, I've had this conversation with uh, uh, with very hardcore cricket cricket fans, and they hmm. they probably prefer fifty over matches. But I I think for um, in terms of excitement, there is a lot more excitement in a T Twenty, mm-hmm. and uh, that itself has brought a lot of. Uh, lot of views people have become a lot more interested in cricket because of t20 mm-hmm. um, it sold, sold a lot more tickets to be mm-hmm. to be frank so um, 
uh, there's something which is uh, which has become uh, more of a trend. So people can view the match uh, here in uh, the UK. Uh, yes. Is it on MTA? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Don't no. think it's going to be ever on MTA. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm just asking. Mm. I, I mean, I usually uh, just watch it on my phone uh, oh, okay. on a live oh. stream. Um, okay, I'll, I'll ask one of my kids to uh, teach me how to get that. Okay, fine. Right. Um, um, what, there's one uh, other story. GCSE results, uh, GCSE AS and A level grades are set to fall in England next year. Um, so this is according to Opcall, and this is something I picked up from the BBC website. Um, and Dr. Joe Saxton is the chief regulator, and she says that uh, they will be much closer to pre-pandemic levels after three years of adjustments, and uh, schools have uh, welcomed the announcement, but there's concern that disadvantaged people, pupils could lose out. Um, exams, as uh, people would uh, perhaps recall, were cancelled in 2020 and 2021, and teacher-based uh, grades uh, led to a boom in top marks. This year's marking system was adjusted so that the grades reflected a midway point between 2019 and 2021. Similar plans were uh, put in place in Northern Ireland and Wales. Uh, Dr. Saxton said uh, that a return to pre-pandemic grading next year was a next step in getting back to normal. Uh, school closures in uh, 2020 and 2021 uh, lockdowns did not directly affect the courses of most students sitting GCSE and A-levels uh, next year, but they did affect those pe- pupils earlier in their school lives, and many will have experienced further disruption because of COVID uh, last year. To, count- to counteract that disruption, uh, Dr. Saxton said students taking exams in 2023 would be protected if the exam performance is little lower than before the pandemic. Uh, grade boundaries will be uh, informed uh, by grades achieved in pre-pandemic years by cohorts of students along with prior attainment data, uh, she said. And she added, broadly speaking, therefore, a typical student who would have achieved an A grade in their A-level geography before the pandemic will be just as likely to achieve it, uh, uh, achieve it um, uh, to, get a, uh, to get on uh, to get an A next summer as well, even if their performance in the assessments is a little weaker in 2023 than it would have been before the pandemic. Students will no longer have advanced information of exam content, but those taking GCSE, maths, physics, and combined science will have formally an equation sheet. So that's just something that has come up uh, in the news regarding uh, GCSE A-level and... Uh, and, and G- GCSE and A-level exams. So here's the uh, a moment uh, that I th- suppose many of us are waiting for, is uh, the introduction of Imam Farid Ahmad's uh, introducing the first of our main stories. So the first story we have today is the insufficient sleep in teenagers is associated with overweight and obesity. So the first thing is that this study examined the association between sleep duration and health in 1,229 students, uh, adolescents in SI program for secondary school, schools trial in Spain. Particip- participants had an average age of, you can say, 12 years, 
at baseline with equal numbers of boys and girls. <coughs> Sleep was measured for seven days with the variable activity tracker three times in each participant at the age 12, 14 and 16 years. For optimal health, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine advises sleep, sleeping up to 9 to 12 hours. And uh, for 6 to uh, 12 years old and eight, uh, 8 to 10 hours for you can say 13 to 18 years old. To simplify the analysis, the study uses, used 8 hours or more as optimal. The participants categorized as very short sleepers, less than 7 hours, short sleepers, 7 to 8 hours, and optimal, you can say, 8 hours or more. Now, the overweight and obesity were determined according to the body mass index. The researchers calculated a continuous metabolic syndrome score ranging from negative healthier to positive unhealthier values that, include, that included waist circumference, blood pressure, and blood glucose, and lipid levels. <coughs> at, 12, at 12 years of age, only 34% of participants slept at least eight years at uh, at eight hours at night and this dropped to 23 percent and 19 percent at 14 and 16 years of age respectively boys tended to get less sleep teenagers who got the most sleep also had better quality sleep meaning they woke up less during uh, less during the night and spent a higher proportion of time in the bed sleeping compared to those who who were sleeping less. The prevalence of overweight or obesity was 27% or 21% or 24% uh, at the age of 12, 14 and 16 years respectively. Now associations between sleep duration, overweight and metabolic syndrome score were ana analyzed after adjusting for you can say parental education, migrant status, moderate to, you can say, vigorous physical activity, smoking status, and you can say more in the uh, city of, you can say, Madrid or Barcelona. And schools, you can, uh, compared with optimal sleepers, overweight, obese, uh, or you can say obese, obesity was 21% and 72% more likely in very short sleepers at the age of, you can say, 12 and 14, respectively. Short sleepers were 19 and 29% more likely to be overweight compared with optimal sleepers at 12 and 14 years, respectively. Similarly, both very short and very short and very short sleepers had higher average metabolic syndrome score at 12 and 14 years compared with the optimal sleepers. And uh, Mr. Martinez Gomez said, the connections between insufficient sleep and adverse health were independent of energy intake and physical activity levels, indicating that sleep itself is important. Excess weight and metabolic syndrome are ultimately associated with cardiovascular disease, suggesting that health promotion programs in schools should teach good sleep habits. Parents can set a good example by having a consistent bedtime and limiting screen time in the evening. Public policies are also needed to tackle this global health problem. Mm. 
Yes, I mean, th- this is a very interesting uh, topic uh, we are covering here on Voice of Islam. And, uh, you know, the thing is, uh, especially nowadays, reason why it's become so important is uh, because the of the increase in uh, social media, in phones, different technologies, uh, especially amongst adolescents, um, it is very difficult, as we've read from the report, um, that, you know, they would get their full... Uh, needed hours of sleep or you know to completely um, make sure that they are fully refreshed for the next day mm. um, I mean uh, this reminds me of uh, his holiness you know the some of the uh, virtual meetings he has been having with the members of the Amdiya Muslim community and uh, uh, his holiness uh, he has encouraged many times that uh, you know you should go to sleep early and make sure that you wake up early, nice and fresh, for the next day. And uh, even in uh, free, you even uh, uh, support to this as well. Even in Jamia, uh, we in in our in our college where we've uh, studied Islam, various other religions in so our theology. It's a residential college. Residential so college. So you live in house. Okay. We we, uh-huh. we stay there. Um, uh-huh. You know, but so and and that is a big aspect. In uh, the op- moral upbringing of the of that particular student as well. Not only are we uh, there for religious knowledge, but also uh, to for that moral upbringing. And as you know, these students when they graduate, there will be those who will be then uh, imams for the community, and um, you know they will be sent to various places around the world um, to spread the message of Islam and. One thing in particular, um, Imam Farid, you can testify to that as well, that uh, we would have lights off at 11, 11 p.m. You know, they they, they were very strict on that, mm-hmm. that uh, everyone should. And, and this is, uh, the thing is, this is all from approved from the guidance of His Holiness. So they were very strict on that, that our lights should be off at 11. We should be going to sleep. Um, and then we would be waking up early for the morning prayers. Um, and that's that was our routine. And uh, during the summer days, uh, when the morning prayer used to be around four, four a.m. Uh, around that time, we would we would go to sleep after the morning prayer. But now, as we are in that winter period, um, you know, where morning prayer are is around six a.m. Um, usually, uh, you know, as our as our classes will start eight, so. Some of the students would go to sleep for a, for a while, but uh, you know a lot of them would stay awake as well as and get ready for the college period. So what I'm trying to say in a nutshell is that His Holiness he has also encouraged that after the Isha prayer, and this was uh, this is accordance with the teachings of Islam as well, which I would uh, explain mm-hmm. later on as well, uh, is that you know after the night prayer, the Isha prayer. It was the habit even of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that uh, he would speak less. Um, and uh, at that time, he would go to sleep and start his day early morning. And this is something which we find in the animal kingdom as well. If you look at birds, for example, uh, they get up very early in the morning. Uh, if you're awake around dawn time, you'll mm. hear the birds singing and uh, and then they will sleep um, in the nighttime hours. So all living things require rest after activity and because activity entails wear and tear and of living tissues and rest means they, they repair. 
So during sleep, worn-out cells are replaced and waste products are eliminated. And not only do human beings and animals require sleep, but plants also stand in need of it. And this is well exemplified in the case of the sunflower, which opens its petals at sunrise and closes them at dusk. And regarding the best time for sleep, it is evident that night is the best time for it. It is, it is not a question of mere custom that uh, people work during the day and go to sleep at night. Nature itself seems to have made the daylight hours specially suited for work and nighttime for sleep and rest. And departure from this natural order causes great strain and results in ill health. And sleep interferes with metabolism and stimulates the power of assimilation. And prolonged sleep is accordingly injurious to health because it favors the absorption of foul vapor. That is why a prolonged period of sleep depresses an individual instead of refreshing and invigorating him. And the advisability of alternating short periods of rest with short periods of activity is thus clear. An important uh, important practical point to remember in connection with sleep is that any idea which is present in the mind before going to sleep remains latent in the subconscious mind throughout the night and unconsciously molds our thoughts and actions. And Islam advises Muslims to say their Isha prayer, their late evening prayer, in particular in congregation in the mosque. And this commandment is good for soul as well as for the body. And sleeplessness can be overcome by concentration of ideas at bedtime, factors which help concentration and bring um, and bring sleep for and bring on sleep um, are ablution at bedtime, warm bath, and hot drinks. So the Islamic teachings are all based on natural and sound hygienic principles, and this would be a pleasant tasked to study the Islamic doctrines in light of the modern sciences. And in fact, if we read the Holy Quran, um, if we look at chapter 30, verse 24, God Almighty here says in the Holy Quran, in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, and among his signs is your sleep by night and by day, your seeking of his bounty, and that surely are the signs for a people who hear. And the alternation of day and night here, um, which has been mentioned, provides one more evidence of the wisdom and intelligence underlying the creation of the universe. And normally man works by day and needs rest at night to replenish his tired and jetted faculties. And one of the signs of Allah, of God Almighty, is our sleep, as he has mentioned in the above verse, is a limited experience of life after death. And this theory is further supported by the following verse of the Holy Quran where Allah the Almighty, he says that, and this from chapter 39, verse 43, God Almighty says that, and Allah takes away the souls of human beings at the time of their death and during their sleep of those also that are not yet dead sleep. Then he retrains those against which he has decreed death and sends back the others till an appointed term. In that surely are signs for a people who reflect. And 
if we study the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, it provides us a great uh, sense of guidance for us as, uh, you know, he he was the Rahmatullah, I mean, he was the mercy for the whole of mankind. And if we truly follow his example, we will understand that, uh, you know, as, as his wife mentioned, that Kana Khulukul Quran, that he was the embodiment of the of the Holy Quran. He he practiced what he preached, and if we look at uh, his life, if we study in detail, we find that this is uh, this is the way which should be adopted. And the example of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, is the best ideal in this respect. And he generally, if we look at his life, he generally went to bed early and got up a little after midnight for offering the morning prayers the the voluntary prayers and then after taking a nap again in the forenoon and some people assert that it is advisable to go to bed late and get up late but this practice is unsound as well as unnatural and we find that all uh, the animals and birds they get up early in the morning a muslim is commanded to get up early in the morning to say his prayers and this practice is natural as well as uh, healthful and uh, the regarding the, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him his direction of sleep um, is mentioned that sleeping on the back is unhealthy and this causes congestion of the spine <coughs> which sometimes results in night discharges and sleeping on the face is an unsound practice sleeping mostly on the left is injurious to health because it causes Im- Im- <coughs> embarrassment of the uh, sorry embracement of the heart and consequent interference with the blood supply of the brain and it also causes distressing dreams uh, subnormalism and nightmares and scientific postures for sleep is lying on the right side and these facts have been established by modern medical research and they go as long long way to prove the divine quality of Islamic teaching as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessing of God Almighty be upon him, he recommended to his followers to sleep on the right side. The head, moreover, should point to the to the north because magnetic currents are constantly passing from north to south and they are in some mysterious manner connected with our nerves, which the body should not oppose. And additionally, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he enjoined upon Muslims to recite and Meditate upon the text of the verses of the Holy Quran entitled as Aydal Kursi and the last three chapters from the Holy Quran before going to bed. And these verses are not recited like a charm, as will be seen. They deal with the most sublime attributes of God and <coughs> as such deeply impress the mind of the individual. And contemplation of these divine attributes it purifies and elevates the soul and one seeks protection with God from all evil ideas, mischievous things and this practice in intelligently carried out uh, becomes a great source of moral strength. Um, so in a nutshell this shows the habit of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him that he would go he would go sleep um, towards af- after the Isha prayers, shortly after the Isha prayers um, and uh, we see that he would get up early in the morning uh, and that's how his day would start in fact um, it is recorded that he would quite often he would go to the cave Hira and he would go there and pray over there um, 
and uh, I don't know if uh, Brother Lee, you've had the chance to uh, go to climb Cave Hira or Farid but I, I mean I, I personally haven't myself but I've seen it mm. and uh, you can see even till now how steep it is mm. and how difficult it would have been to walk all the way up um, and uh, this this was the daily routine of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him that early in the morning he would go there and uh, he would pray at, uh, at that time mm. well ask me next year because I intend to go late this year inshallah that's, that's right. great that's great uh, that's but uh, I was talking to uh, Imam Saab the Imam of the London Mosque, and he has uh, he has been there, and he says it's quite steep. What you are saying, he shares that view, and uh, that it's not so easy. Um, it's a three mile uh, apparently uh, mm. incline. Okay, wow. And uh, but um, and he also said that the the view from there is quite uh, um, quite dramatic. Uh, you can see. The, uh, the whole, the whole yes, you can yeah, see the whole uh, whole city yeah. from there. So that's something that um, I'm planning to do. Three miles for me is quite a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not so agile. Are you, but, are, you, are, um, you are you preparing for it in any way? Yeah, well, I, I intend to. Yes, uh, I've been thinking about preparing for it. Mm. But as you know, with these kind of things, you keep on putting it off. But uh, I know I can do a mile, but uh, three miles in one go, I think maybe. Uh, require more training, and I mean th- it's an incline yes. as well. So you yeah, know, you'd you'd have to practice maybe yes. even uh, doing going on little hikes maybe mm-hmm. just just to test yourself. Mm. Um, because because even one of my uh, relatives who 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 is um, who is old as well, even he went mm. uh, recently and he couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. It was very difficult for him because it was quite steep. And uh, breathing becomes really difficult as well at that okay. sort of position. So I, mm-hmm. I think uh, definitely. Uh, okay, we'll see. We'll see. Yes, inshallah. And um, yeah, um, the other thing he was he mentioned is that um, although there are a lot of people, um, if you go at the right time, there is uh, an opportunity to actually pray there as mm. well. And he was able to do that. Um, so many people want to do that. If you go at the right time, there is, uh, there will be an opportunity to, for you to occupy that small space. I think it's for one or two people only, uh, where you can actually s- uh, observe uh, prayers. So yeah, so something that um, I'm sure you'll be able to do, uh, God willing, soon. Uh, I know you've been to <laughs> Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you get all the news from someone. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, Imam Fried, is there anything you wanted to mention uh, in terms of the Islamic analysis on, oh, yeah. on this particular? So it says in the Holy Quran that that man is indeed created weak. And it signifies the fact that it's different from machines. And this is, to me, the main difference between a man and a machine is that machine can go on for hours and hours without stopping, but a man needs sleep and a man needs a good night's sleep. And the Holy Quran further elaborates the point by saying that So these are, you can say, the three categories which are mentioned, or three, you can say, parts of the day which are mentioned here is that. So first up, it says that the night is made for rest and the day is made to work. So gives you, the, you can say, the baseline of what we do we need to do in our lives. Mm-hmm. First up, it says in the Holy Quran that 
Night is important for you. It means that night is there to protect you as a covering. So you, you're weak. It says in the Holy Quran, as mentioned earlier. So you're weak. You need a good night's sleep. You need rest to repair. You can say your muscles and every, uh, the tissues have been worn out because you've been working hard. And then it says that it's made for you to sleep. So we need to sleep. And good, it says in the Holy Quran. Now, if you move further, you could say that if a person, let's say, for example, if a, if a person says that, okay, I'm not going to sleep, I'm just going to, you can say, work 24-7, it will take a toll on his body so much so that he won't be able to concentrate anymore. Mm. And I was watching a documentary where they asked two you can say, volunteers to not to sleep during the night. And then you can say after around roughly 28 to 30 hours of not sleeping, they were asked to drive a car and they were unable to control it. Mm. It was absolute mess. Mm. And that simply proved the fa- point that, uh, you can say, sleep drive, deprived is bad, even worse than drinking and driving. Mm. So you can say that sleeping is very important. And mm. as you can see in the Holy Quran, it says, mm. clearly says that sleep is made for you to, you can say, for a healthy body, it's very important. Mm. And sleep at night is important. Yeah, sleeping well, at night Rather than well, sleeping yeah. during the day. Yep, because exactly. We know that shift workers, for instance, or those people who have to work at night do suffer from uh, issues. Mm. Uh, and uh, there is what lunacy, for instance, is a term that is derived from those people who stay up when the moon is out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, there is something that is lacking in their mental abilities as a result of that. Uh, is, th- is that why it's called lunar eclipse? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but I know lunacy <laughs> is something that I was told. This is, my wife told me this. Uh, <laughs> I learned quite a lot from uh, this. Is. So, um, but apparently this, is, this has been documented that uh, um, it is uh, disadvantageous to health, those people mm-hmm. who stay up at night and uh, uh, sleep during the day. So what the Quran is saying is uh, is something that is very conducive to to good health and something that is uh, very conducive to nature and something that's natural, isn't it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, here I wanted to actually uh, talk about the middle prayer, as uh, the Holy Quran mentions um, regarding the regarding the five daily prayers. It mentions in chapter two, verse two hundred thirty-nine. Uh, that watch over prayers and the middle prayer and stand before Allah the Almighty submissively. And His Holiness, uh, while addressing the Amdi Muslim Youth Association in 2018 uh, on 23rd of September, he explained that while this verse it calls on Muslims to guard against intention to the five daily prayers, it particularly reminds Muslims to watch over the middle prayer. And explaining the term, the middle prayer, His Holiness, he said that the middle prayer is whichever prayer which is which is at risk of uh, negligent due to material interest. And His Holiness explained that in the modern era, the early morning prayer, the Fajr prayer, is often the middle prayer for many people. And further ex- explaining, he said that in today's world, People of all ages, including many youngsters, stay up late studying or wasting time in immoral or wasteful things, such as aimlessly surfing the internet, watching films or TV, scrolling endlessly on their phone or tablets, 
or sending messages late into the night. And as a result, they fail to wake up for the Fajr prayer, for the morning prayer. And, and, and so, due to their routine, the morning prayer actually becomes the middle prayer for them. Thus, the middle prayer is whichever prayer is at risk of being forsaken as a result of worldly or materially uh, pursuits. So very beautifully explained that uh, when it mentions in the Holy Quran the middle prayer, it refers to that particular prayer which is at most at risk because of material interest. And in nowadays in, in the society we, we live in, in the world we live in, mm-hmm. uh, that prayer for many has become become the morning prayer. Uh, so His Holiness said that when the Quran it mentions that you should guard it, uh, you should give a, a full attention not only to your five daily prayers but also to that prayer which is most at risk. So uh, you know may may Allah mm. enable us to act uh, upon these teachings. Um, mm. So so in some cases the the middle prayer is the is the Fajr prayer the first prayer. In some cases, maybe the the afternoon prayer, the other yeah, prayer. Yes, yeah, so it will depend on the individual themselves. Mm. Um, you know where where they are the weakest, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess this is a great way of God Almighty teaching uh, the believer that uh, you know although you are doing your five daily prayers, but also uh, take heed and look after that prayer which is uh, most difficult for you, and then try to focus yourself on that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So I mean, it, it's it's a great way to then watch over uh, one's prayers. Right. Thanks very much. I mean, that I think uh, brings us to a conclusion of uh, that particular subject. Uh, the subject we were discussing were discussing was insufficient sleep in teenagers associated with being overweight and obesity. So not having enough sleep is deleterious to your health. Uh, we will after news uh, looking at the next uh, big subject that we will uh, be addressing is parents adopt unhealthy food routines for family well-being in place of unaffordable activities so do stay with us uh, because that's going to be coming straight after the news and we will also be listening to the views of experts uh, on this issue so don't go away you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show of the Voice of Islam. With myself, Farid Ahmed and Imam, uh, Ahmed and Imam Tanvir as well. Uh, the time is three minutes past eight. It's Friday, the 30th of September, 2022. As mentioned before the break, we will be looking at the next uh, of our main stories uh, to, we are considering today. Uh, the title is Parents Adopt Unhealthy Food Routines for Family Well-Being in Place of unaffordable activities. Uh, to tell us more about this, Imam Farid Ahmed uh, will take us through. Over to you, sir. Oh, yeah. So, the topic we have today is parents adopt unhealthy food routines for families well, from family well-being in place of unaffordable activities. So, the study from Centre of Food Policy at City University of London sheds light on the food buying habits of low-income parents across England. It looked at how families, of how these families' food practices may be influenced by, influenced by their food environment, which is, uh, for example, where people can buy and eat food outside of home, 
as well as advertising and promote and promotions they come across also but the wider socioeconomic factors in their lives that may be affecting their decision making now the findings support that well established view that a food environment where unhealthy food foods are cheap and healthy heavily marketed drives parents to feed their families on them however they further suggest that when parents are unable to afford social activities with their children like visiting a soft play center of or holidays even a short distance away they are additionally driven to compensate with families with family treats taking the form of unhealthy food routines examples of such routines identified in the study include family visits to fast food outlets like local fish and shop fish and chips shop kebab shop and some other you can say burger restaurants or even food related events at such at home at home such as the family snacks and other activities now the study involved 60 parents on low income as participants recruited equally from deprived neighborhoods across three regions of england great yarmouth stoke on trent and london borough of lewisham participants were aged over 18 a parent of a child in stu- in school of n- school of nursery and primary shopper in th- in the family reflecting the highly gendered nature of food work 56 participants were women all participants took part in semi structured interviews relating to practices of purchasing preparing purchasing and com- preparing uh, and consuming foods in the family and the roles of different family members including children in enacting these practices 58 of the participants took part in the photo elicitation exercise over a week where they took photos of things that made it harder or easier for them to buy the food they wanted for their families 22 of the participants took part in in shop alone interview where they gu- they guided the interview interviewing researcher around the shops of their choice and what they bought now based on the findings the study author pol- the study authors po- policy recommendations include removing unhealthy food promotions and food service outlets from the food environment whilst crucially replacing them with healthier promotions and outlets to retain the opportunities for social well-being these provide for families now further recommendations include increasing the number of affordable family activities available in deprived local communities making exciting activities more affordable such as through the availability of discounts and addressing the broader social need to lift families out of financial insecurity such as through more extensive benefit schemes living wage policies and action or insecure work provision professor hawks is the principal investigator of the study and director of center for food policy at city university of london she said given the wonderful food available uh, given the wonderful food available in this country it's how many 
traverse t is a traverse t how many how many people people's health is damaged by poor quality diets this study shows that the pathway forward involves in understanding how people experience food in their everyday realities policy to address inequalities will only work if it recognizes that food is more more than just nutrition and meet and must meet a wider range of people's needs such as social and economic well-being thank you very much for that um when we discussed uh, this subject earlier uh, it was discussed with dr davia nielsen she's an assistant professor in the school of human uh, nutrition and william dawson scholar at mcgill university um and this is what she have to say apologies if the uh, if the introduction is uh, mentioned also again but uh, this is what she had to say so we have today with us at the voice of islam radio station dr diva nielsen and you are an assistant professor in the school of human nutrition and william dawson scholar at mcgill university so thank you for joining us today at the voice of islam radio station thank you very much for having me so um you being an expert in the field of uh geno- genomics could you tell us what impact genetics has um on our diet and nutrition Yes absolutely it's uh, been my area of research for over 10 years and I find it really fascinating we continue to uncover more in this scientific field of how our dna or the variation in our genetics impacts the way we respond to food and nutrition so we really have uncovered uh, a lot of information about how differences in our dna uh, can lead to differences in how we break down the nutrients in our foods so the the metabolism of those nutrients and also how our body utilizes those nutrients so there's some good cases of how people may respond differently to dietary fats um, and that can impact cholesterol levels and other markers of health according to differences in their DNA. And what I'm also quite interested in with genetics is how it can lead to our food preferences and choices of foods. So there's a lot of interesting research on how differences in our genes can impact the way we actually perceive tastes and flavors of foods and bitterness is a very good example some people may be quite sensitive to bitter tastes in vegetables in particular uh due to some variation in their genes and this can lead to a uh, dislike of certain vegetables and some avoidance so i study the genetics through both how the variation in the genes impact our metabolism of nutrients and also how it impacts our food preferences fantastic and for the benefit of our listeners could you also explain how you combine genomic and environmental data to better understand the complexities of human eating behavior mhm so that really is in line with the second area that i described and how our genes can be related to our food preferences and choices um and so what i've done in my lab um my lab's really the first to have done this we've linked information on genetics and health from a large scale cohort study here in quebec in canada and we linked that health information with marketing data about the food environment 
So the food environment is um, data obtained at a neighborhood level, and so we're able to acquire information about what kinds of foods are available in the local retailers in grocery stores or markets, convenience stores, and it's really comprehensive. We were able to look at uh, natural foods, unprocessed fruits and vegetables, but then also things like ice cream and soda uh, or cola, and we could study these relationships between people's genetic variation that may relate to their food preferences and risk of obesity, and the kinds of food exposures they had in their local food environments, those retailers. And my lab was able to show that uh, neighborhoods that had food retailers selling more unhealthy foods, so more very processed foods, high in calories, high in sugar, like ice creams and, co and colas. Um, the neighborhoods that had a, a higher proportion of those products being available, uh, people who lived in those neighborhoods had a higher demonstration of their genetic vulnerability to obesity. So if they were high risk for obesity, according to their genetics, that vulnerability was more evident in those neighborhoods that had the unhealthier food environments. Whereas even if they had the same vulnerability genetically to obesity, if their food environment was healthier, we didn't see the same evidence of the obesity being manifested. So it's a nice message that uh, while we do have genetic vulnerabilities to various complex conditions like obesity, uh, if we have healthy environments that can really help to offset those genetic sensitivities. Great. And Dr. Darva, how does the level of sugar consumed by children affect them? And how can parents monitor and ensure infants consume the correct amounts? Yes, so sugar is a very interesting topic and there's a lot of research being done on it. It's very important. Uh, we know that it's very easy to overconsume sugar. So sugar itself isn't really bad, but when you have too much of it, it can lead to problems. And in children, having diets high in sugar is a high risk factor for developing obesity in childhood and being at high risk for continuing to have weight problems in adulthood. Um, and so even if a child uh, develops some weight issues, becoming overweight or obese in childhood, and they uh, are able to either lose the weight or, or grow into a category of, of normal weight. With, with children, we don't really want to encourage weight loss uh, as, a, as an initial step. We'd rather prevent further weight gain and allow the child to grow taller. Um, and if that stabilization of weight can occur, there's a good chance that they will naturally enter a normal weight category um, just by preventing further weight gain. But even if they become normal weight uh, through those kinds of approaches, um, having overweight or obesity at any point in childhood is a risk factor for obesity in adulthood later on. Uh, so sugar is important to make sure that we consume in the appropriate amounts. Uh, in 2018, in North America, we released new specific guidelines for children, so they should not have over six teaspoons of sugar in a day, uh, and that's added sugar. Um, so that's the equivalent of not having more than one cup of a sugar-sweetened beverage in a day. Um, and so we do want to ensure that children meet those recommendations because that can help maintain their growth in a healthy way and uh, avoid problems with weight gain. 
And for your question about how parents can monitor it, it's uh, important to have some food label literacy skills. So uh, the nice thing about our food environment is we have the information provided to the consumers now on the food labels. It's very clearly marked. Uh, the proportion of different nutrients and added sugars will be clearly labeled uh, on these packages. So parents can read the food labels, assess how much sugar, um, look at the portion size, ensure the child is eating um, the correct portion size of the product, and aim to keep that added sugars intake below 25 grams per day. Fantastic. And just moving on from that question, I wanted to ask you what is considered a healthy diet for children and how can parents ensure their children are on track? Mm -hmm. It's a very good question. Um, so a healthy diet can take a lot of different forms. Uh, we can have diets that are vegetarian-based or even fully plant-based. You can have omnivore diets. So there's a lot of flexibility in a healthy diet. And our public health guidelines are very nice for, for helping uh, citizens fo follow good dietary recommendations. So where you are in the UK, there is the Eat Well Guide from uh, the NHS, the National Health Service, and this is uh, meant for all individuals to follow. It's a nice visual guide showing the food groups that should be um, aimed to be consumed on a daily basis, typically. So um, trying to reach five servings of fruits and vegetables a day, that applies for children as well. It's just depending on the age of the child, if they're very young, the portion size will be smaller. So the guidelines are really the same for all ages uh, that you'll see in the Eat Well Guide, and it's the same here in Canada. We have a Canada food guide that is also very visual um, and shows you an image of a plate and what healthy portions look like of various food groups. Um, so following those guides are good for all ages. It's just the portion size should be appropriate for the age of the child, and you can find more details um, on the NHS website or with a healthcare professional about the appropriate portion sizes for children. So aiming for all of those major food groups, the fruits and vegetables, um, carbohydrates, some protein foods that can be dairy or it can be alternatives if somebody is uh, avoiding meat or animal products, um, and also having a good variety of healthy fats. Great. And if you could also shed some light on processed foods. So what processed foods and fats should be minimized and what alternative options are there available? Yes, um, the level of processing of foods is a hot topic in the field of nutrition. Um, there can be some debate about it. Certainly, uh, processed foods get a bad reputation, but there also are some processed foods that can be healthful. So that's where the tip about getting to know your food labels and being able to digest that information becomes helpful. Um, so looking at the contents of the, the fat percentages and the added sugars and the sodium, those are the, the nutrients I would really encourage people to become familiar with the appropriate amounts um, that should be consumed, and you can find the specific amounts for children um, at various online sources or with your healthcare professional. Um, so a processed food is typically a food that you wouldn't find in its natural form. So we've got a lot of those on the market now, things that have um, been developed using raw ingredients like different grains or different uh, natural products and put together is something that you wouldn't find naturally. And so a lot of processed foods are very high in those nutrients of concern that I mentioned, sodium, uh, added sugars, and, and saturated fats, and even trans fats. So trans fat is a category 
category that should really be avoided. Um, and it is possible to avoid that in the food supply. So you can check food labels for the content of trans fats. Now a replacement, it's always good to, to go with the minimally processed or the completely unprocessed and natural foods if possible. But we know life can be very busy and so processed foods are sometimes very convenient and they can fit in with a healthy diet. So I'd say reading, reading the food labels and getting to know the nutritional information and staying within the recommended limits is a good strategy for making healthy choices. Great, thank you so much, uh, right, Dr. Um, Ivan Nelson, uh, for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station and sharing your expertise on this very important subject. Thank you so much. Thank you. Right, apologies for that. I I think I interrupted my boss, uh, but he's forgiven me already, so thank you very much for that. Um, so that was Dr. Uh, Neeson, uh, Assistant Professor in Human Nutrition. Um, uh, we are going to be shortly joined by um, uh, one of the other uh, specialists. Um, we are hoping to be uh, talking to Dr. Manita Patel. She's a nutrition and lifestyle medicine uh, uh, medicine specialist and qualified nutrition nutritional therapist. So we hope to be talking to her about this particular topic as well. Um, so while we're waiting. Um, Perhaps we need to fill in by some uh, uh, wise words. Uh, and uh, for that, it's over to you, uh, Iman Toki. Yes, uh, I mean, it's, it is a very uh, important topic. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll look into the Islamic analysis more into detail. Um, but I, I do believe that yes. uh, we are joined by Dr. Vintna Patel. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, uh, thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Munisa Patel. You will be with us? Yes. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, now, I've got a couple of uh, uh, colleagues with me, so I'll only be asking you uh, one question and then passing the mic on to them. I hope that's okay. Um, sure. Okay. So, to begin with, I mean, what, what are the main risks associated with the unhealthy foods for kids? And, you know, how, how does it affect their well being? So, define what unhealthy foods are. So they are foods which are high in sugar and in saturated fat. Would be high sugar foods and fried foods such as crisps. And so the, the, the sort of problems which lead on from this are that you are intaking excess calories to your needs and there's no nutrients really in any of these foods very 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 little nutrients so eventually this will lead to excess weight gain <clears throat> and unhealthy weight gain mm. okay all right uh, thank you for joining us this morning, uh, Dr. Vinita Patel. Um, I wanted to ask you, many other activities might be uh, unaffordable for some <coughs> parents. Um, is offering food treats um, a good alternative in this case? So, yes, it is expensive to do lots of different activities, but I work in a project in South London where we have families who have very little income and we're able to guide them to doing free activities. Firstly, just taking the child to the park and um, even just going on different walks around where they live. So that doesn't have to be a paid for activity. 
And actually, children like to have time spent with their parents or with their families. They like attention, reading books with them, playing board games with them. All of these things are free. And we shouldn't be rewarding children. We should be rewarding them with our attention, our time, something that they might Yes, um, just one last question from my side and then I'll pass the mic on to Imam Farid. I wanted to ask, what can society or the government do to address issues relating to increased unhealthy food choices? Yes, so there was a strategy which had been outlined before and it was to do with the marketing of these unhealthy foods. So rather than giving people um, incentives to buy them. It was taking away those incentives. Also, places which are open near to schools, so they were trying to avoid too many uh, fast food openings near schools. However, this has recently been um, changed by the new government. So, it's councils and government to continue doing this work because when a child sees something like an advert for unhealthy food or if they see there's a chicken shop it makes them want to go in and so that is difficult to then say no we can't go for the parent it makes it much more hard for the parent to resist that oh yeah so dr patel my question is that how does unhealthy food routine affect the well-being of children? So if a child has, say, lots of sugary foods, their blood sugar levels are constantly going up and down. The consequence is that their brain does not get a steady supply of sugar. So it affects how they concentrate in school, how they learn, it affects their behavior. When the blood sugar goes very high and then goes down, we see children behaving in a different way. So it's actually important to avoid that. And long term, that can be a problem with early diabetes, so obviously for health reasons as well. And the other side of it is if you're having fried foods, this is a problem for the brain. So the brain needs to have healthy fat to function properly, to develop properly, for children to be able to do well in school. And if you're giving unhealthy fats, these are incorporated into the brain cells, which does the opposite, so that it affects their learning, their development. So many, many consequences of unhealthy food, but these are just... Um, uh, Dr. Patel, thanks very much for that. I mean, do you think initiatives like sh the sugar tax and uh, some kind of clamp down on restrictions on advertising is yeah. having the desired effect? And do you think that there should be more of that, these, these kind of initiatives? So the early evidence shows that the sugar tax does reduce how, ma how many sugary drinks people are taking, and that can reduce how many empty calories they're taking in. So there is some benefit from the sugar tax. 
uh, it's also good if it's if the tax is used for something like the NHS um, and the other types of incentives so the advertising is a big problem so if they are much more strict about who and when the that will help parents because when the child sees something on TV or in their that really that mind that I want to eat that I want to eat that like the sh and the things we're trying to avoid you know especially for breakfast to have a sugary breakfast the worst day but all the cereal companies are very good at um, market parents get this frosties or something which is very sugary Okay, no, thanks, thanks very much for coming on. Thanks very much for, for your contribution. Um, You're welcome. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. So that thank was, you. thank you. That was uh, Dr. Vanessa uh, Patel. Uh, she is uh, a, an expert, uh, a nutrition and lifestyle medicine expert. We've also got, I'm pleased to say, uh, Ms. Sonia Morris on the line. Um, and she's a registered public health nutritionist with over 16 years experience working with schools, community groups, uh, sports clubs, uh, and uh, has uh, other consultations as well from uh, what my notes tell me. Thank you very much for coming on to speak to us. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Sonia. Right. Hi. Uh, uh, one of the major barriers for eating healthier is the cost, and for some this can be unaffordable. So for the benefit of our listeners, can you kindly tell us about how much uh, of an issue this is? Um, yeah, um, it's, it's, very, it's not surprising because over half of the people in the UK believe that healthy eating is unaffordable. But um, just with a bit of planning, it can be a lot more cost-effective than people realise. Right. Yeah. Okay. Can you elaborate a bit more? I mean, yes, a bit yes. more about on that. Yes, I can. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a few points here. Like cooking from scratch mm -hmm. is the most effective way of um, healthy diet and affordable. Um, planning recipes in advance before you go shopping. Healthy, healthy control. You can control um, what you ingredients you put in your food, mm -hmm. which makes it healthier than buying something that you've taken off the shelf that's processed because. Often processed foods are high in salt, fat, and sugar, and that's, thing, that's something that you can't control. There are labels that you can read, and there's a traffic light system that should be operating with most big manufacturers. It's red, green, and amber, and um, it's best to avoid too many ingredients with a red, red sig um, traffic light signal. These, mm -hmm. these signals can be found on the front or the back of the packaging. And um, also, it's more of a social, and you can get friends and family together to help cook. So cooking from scratch is really beneficial mm. all, all, all the way around for the social aspect. And you can make small changes to save money. As I said before, you plan your meals ahead, go back to the basics with meal, avoid expensive and complex um, recipes, and create simple shopping lists and food, um, food cupboard essentials. Just add things at hand. So that when you're looking for something, you don't have to run out to the shop. And maybe a local shop will be a lot more expensive than the supermarket. 
Now, if you stock up and have things already prepared for your meals, it's best. It's the best way if you plan your meals ahead and have the ingredients prepared, and also to eat seasonal food. Okay. Um, in season fruit and vegetable is a lot cheaper than the out of season stuff of that's often mm. imported. Mm. And there's another thing you can do in the summer when the food is abundant: pick your own fruit and vegetables, and either ferment these or you can freeze them for right. a later date. Right. You consider batch cooking, which means you cook uh, maybe a larger meal and then um, freeze it. Mm -hmm. or um, keep it for three days in a sealed container in the fridge. Um, this also saves time for the busy household. And buy frozen veg, um, fruit and vegetables rather than fresh because this is less wastage. You just use what you need and put the rest back into the freezer and there's less spoilage. And look for deals on cupboard staples. You can also switch brands. If you're used to a, a big name brand, which is often maybe twice as expensive as a supermarket brand, there's normally an alternative supermarket brand that is just as good. Mm. And research online for more ideas and watch TV programs. There's some great programs on such as um, Eat Better for Less. They give, give very good tips. Okay. Yeah. No, and those are just a few things. That, no, no, thanks yeah. very much. It, it goes, yeah. to show, goes to show that way if you're motivated, uh, mm -hmm. where there's a will, there's a way you can find, yeah. um, sure even is. if it's going to be more expensive, it's going to be affordable, uh, yes. this kind of, yes, this kind of um, uh, regime. Anyway, um, there is a question about uh, strategies and parents that my colleague has for you, so if you mm -hmm. don't mind. Okay. Yeah, uh, thank you for joining us this morning, uh, Ms. Sonia. I wanted to ask You're you, welcome. Um, what strategies can parents adopt in order to assist their children uh, with making healthier food choices? Okay, this, w this can also go back into the first point. You can get the children and um, the teenagers, whoever they are, involved in planning the meals and also maybe involved in the shopping and the pre preparation of the meals. And it's really a good idea for um, parents to make time to eat meals together around the table. That that just covers lots of social issues. It brings the family together. People can talk around the table more. And um, set times are very good for meals um, indoors. Um, keep healthy snacks indoors for lunch packs, etc. And just show by example. Mm. And and in your opinion, what are some of the major nutritional concerns for adolescents and teenagers? Yeah, this this is a biggie. Yeah, um, once they get into the teenage years, they're a lot more um, independent, and maybe they have more spending money. And there's an abundance of fast food outlets everywhere on every ice street, so it's very tempting for teenagers just to um, eat fast food all the time. So this is something we have to, as parents, we have to watch and um, maybe just give them a little talk about eating at home and make fast foods just maybe a snack because they will they will venture out and try and um, become more independent with their choices. So just um, advise them how to make healthier choice. And also to watch with, um, sometimes teenagers develop um, bad um, body image or unrealistic body image and that could lead to dieting. So it's worth watching out for those kind of issues. Absolutely. And, um, and you know, keep an eye on those. And you know, um, teenagers like to be very independent. So there's some things that you won't be able to control, but you can advise them. And you can provide um, 
healthy meals at home. That really helps. And if your food is more delicious than the food outside, which is often the case, you know, children, you know, children will come around the table and eat what they serve because it will be an enjoyable time for them. Absolutely, and uh, just one more question from my side, and then I'll pass the mic on Imam Farid. I wanted to ask: mm-hmm. uh, To what extent do you think educating the younger generation, as well as pre- parents, about nutrition and healthy diet is important? Yeah, I think it's extremely important, and I think um, parents have a duty to um, educate the children in this aspect. But I also think the schools could do more um, to. To educate children on on um, nutrition, so they could develop their nutrition lessons, yeah, and so that they can develop healthy lab habits that will lead to a healthy lifestyle. Um, and yeah, and just lastly, um, can the type of diet um, an individual consumes have an effect on their well-being? Absolutely. To avoid diet-related diseases such as diabetes, hypertension, which is high blood pressure, and obesity, diet plays a major role. It plays a major role in um, development of these diseases and prevention. Also, it's never too late to um, change your diet for a healthier lifestyle. Great, fantastic. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Sonia Morris. Uh, you're oh, a registered okay. public health nutritionist. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us this morning thank and sharing you your expertise. Me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Right, we, we also spoke to um, Miss Maria. Miss Maria hails from Canada. She's a mother of three. And this is what she had to say. Assalamu alaikum. Um, so we're joined on the line today with Maria, and she is from Canada. She's a mother of three, um, and she's going to be talking to us about our topic today. So, um, Assalamu alaikum, and welcome to the Voice of Islam okay. Breakfast Show. Thank you for having me. Um, so, if you could kindly let us know your experience of establishing routines and food habits. I will say one thing I have three kids, and I did not have, uh, I don't, my, I, I lost my mom young, so it was a bit of a learning curve. So I, I will tell you a lot of things that I wish I had known, but every kid I learned, I learned a new, you know, new things per child. Um, here are some things that I wish I, I knew sooner, but getting the kids into the habit of feeding themselves is a, a big one. You know, oftentimes new mothers are really worried about the mess. We're worried our kids aren't, you know, it honestly looks as if they're getting more on their plates or on the floor or on themselves than they are in their mouth and uh, teaching them very, very basics of uh, of why food is what type of food is beneficial for what for example you know i tell my three-year-old that bright orange foods are good for your eyes darker foods are good for your heart olive oil you know butter fish these things are good for your brain and whatnot um i didn't really have a set of good food or bad foods it was all foods are food but i would introduce everything at the same time and i find that now as my kids are getting older my eldest is six junk food is not a priority she can has very good self-control. She's not worried that, you know, we might run out of ice cream or candy or anything. She has pretty good food habits. I wouldn't worry so much about bribing the children. I wouldn't push the kids to eat. I did have, um, we are a low-income household, and I find uh, it, it is, it's harder to eat a wholesome whole foods diet, right? We are pushed, honestly, if you look at low-income housing, we're pushed, um, you know, quick, easy delicious meals, you know, sugary snacks, 
crisps, chips, all sorts of saturated fats and really easy, convenient foods. Um, I found a good way to get around that was really focusing on nutrition versus eating like different types of food or cultural specific meals. You know, I'm not really worried about where they're getting their fruits and vegetables from whatever's in season, whatever's on sale. Typically grocery stores have an aisle where you can, you know, I guess look at clearance produce for that day, you know, get it. As zucchini is on sale, get it. If it's looking a little off, you know, don't be afraid to cook it into a banana bread. Don't be afraid to cook with it. I think that's really interesting. And I think I really liked your point about how you would explain all the different types of foods to your children as well. I think it's really important because they do kind of sense if you're nervous and if you're anxious about things. And um, I think it really helps as well. So um, we're actually looking at this study of how income may affect one's choices in food and establishing good habits. Do you think this is the case and how can one overcome some of these obstacles? It is 100,000% the case. Um, actually, also fear tactics. You know, it's not always a, a low-income family. For example, my, my eldest daughter, she had uh, she was rather underweight. And at one point, our, like really do, as a mother, do your own research. Trust your gut as well. My daughter was always very active, happy. Um, she was rather underweight, and I remember that one of our doctors said, you know, it doesn't matter, feed her anything. You know, she needs to gain weight, feed her anything. And as a new mom by myself, I'm, I'm just, I'm worried sick. And the easiest thing to turn to, you know, what what I could afford at the time, cookies and like all sorts of junk foods. You know, the kids, she, she ate it. Did she gain any weight? No. Now we know that that's just how she's built. She has a ton of energy, mashallah. Um, she's very, very active. I, I, certain things that do help, um, you know, we have Dr. Google nowadays, who's, who's a really big help. I'm telling you, you can get on the wrong side of the internet, but there's also a lot of pluses. So really researching nutrient dense foods that you can keep in bulk, oatmeal, pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds, nuts, because, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables can get a little pricey. That being said, if you're buying them for a little tot, you don't need that much, right? Shop clearance section, shop frozen, uh, flash frozen fruits and vegetables, a great way to make, like, I would make homemade ice cream, blend it up. And kids, you're so, it's the amazing thing about kids is that they don't have these, when they're very little, they're still developing their taste palate. And you can use that in your favor. Like, if you give me frozen food, pureed as ice cream, I'm not going to eat it. But I gave it to my child, and that's the first ice cream she's had. She loves it. Homemade uh, fries, you know, it's it's very easy to have takeout. It's quick. I'd say invest to make a long-term investment. Budget yourself. Get an air fryer, right? It'll, you know, time is money. And, and when you're struggling, chances are you're looking for work. Maybe you're going to school. It's not easy to fit in healthy meals with your family. Prioritize, like, priori- prioritize your time. Budget accordingly. An air fryer has saved us a ton of money on eating out. Quick fries, you know, even homemade chicken nuggets, like ground chicken. You can make your own nuggets, you know, and prioritizing, um, I guess, pre-made meals is very, very helpful. I tend to marinate, cook, and then freeze my meats. You know, I know people do it the other way around. They marinate it and freeze it for easy cooking. But I'm sorry, I have three little kids and I'm go, go, go. I don't have time to, to even cook the cook the meat. I have everything cooked and ready to heat up and go. And I think support for for the parents, and especially for the single mom, support the mom. 
you know, generally low-income areas, they have their own personal struggles and they are worried about things that most people are privileged enough not to have to worry about, right? So in those times of stress, it's, it's easier to just give your kids whatever you can give them. Um, I learned very simple things like how to make my own homemade popcorn. We don't have a microwave. Uh, it literally takes the same amount of time as it would in a microwave to make it on the pot. Uh, you know, you just getting them, you know, small things like instead of a pack of Smarties, giving them dark chocolate chips. Instead of lollipops, there's plenty of, of sugar-free lollipops that are not very expensive. It just takes a little bit of research. And that being said, it's usually a family, like it's a family change. You know, it, it won't happen overnight. Tackle small things, make small goals. And at the end of the day, do not beat yourself up. You know, I think keeping the stress down is the biggest factor. And unfortunately, low-income households tend to have more stress as well. So if you can keep your stress down, I wouldn't worry about the pack of chips your kid had for dinner. Go out into the sun, stay active. You know, your body's using whatever you eat for energy. That's good. That's really useful advice. I'm sure a lot of people can benefit from that. And I think it's really important to, it's very easy to go for those easy options, but it, it's your child at the end of the day. And it's a, it's a good idea to go to Google as well. Um, you can find lots of activities like Montessori to do with the children as well. And um, yeah, so I just also wanted to ask you, um, do you know any other tips that you can encourage children to establish good routines and habits and those who are sort of struggling what kind of support is available for them? Um, I can just, I, I, I can give you whatever I have found that helped me personally. You, you might not always have time, but if you can, at least have one meal a day together. Make it a bonding experience. You know, sometimes we think our kids are so little, they don't have anything to say. They have so much to say if we just listen. I, I've recently made a menu for my kids, and I kind of broke it down into fruits, vegetables, proteins, carbs, dairy, and fun foods. And I said, okay. Sometimes I, my brain is just not there. So I say, okay, pick out what you want from the menu and I will make it for you. My meals are very easy. I do not have time to be in the kitchen for more than 10 minutes per, per child or like per meal of the day. Um, I found including kids in grocery shopping and in meal prep is a huge one. They feel very empowered. They feel, they feel excited to eat, you know, like something that they've bought with you, they've prepared with you. And uh, another thing that helped my children was invite other kids to eat with them. It, it really is monkey see, monkey do. My daughter does not like rice. She has never liked rice. And she was sitting at a table with her cousins and suddenly, you know, she sees everyone having their, their rice. And she's like, Mom, I love rice. She has been eating rice ever since. So <laughs> that helps. And uh, sorry, you did ask for uh, available support for women who for, prefer anyone who's struggling. Um, I think... Do you, definitely do your research online. Depending on where you're located, you will have different support groups and supports, food banks, keeping it simple. Finding a good support group for the parents is really important. You cannot pour from an empty cup. I would like to urge that, you know, if you're really, really struggling, it might be a good idea to see a doctor, right, to see if you need an immediate treatment that can kind of bring you to a state of calm from a state of like, you know, flight. That, that way you're able to tackle your goals in life and really be your own advocate. It takes a lot to pull yourself out of a, a place that feels dark, heavy, but you can do it and really be okay with asking for help. If you don't know, ask.
Yeah, I 100% agree. I think it's so important to get out there and because they're up in Canada and in the UK, they have these centres available which are free of charge provided by the government and you can connect with other mums and make this judgment-free zone where you can um, really learn from each other. And there are um, experts available there as well, like um, nutritionists, dietitians um, who, can, yeah. who can support you as well. So we're really lucky to have that as well. Right, so that was uh, Miss Maria, um, a housewife or a mother of three, as she's described in our notes. Um, So now uh, we're going to have the um, Islamic angle, and two imams are with me, so over to you, sirs. Thank you so much uh, for that. Um, So, you know, if we study Islam, we see that uh, Islam, it, it... it says that it is a religion which adopts the middle path um, and in fact if we study the Holy Quran if we look at chapter 2 verse 114 God Almighty says in the Holy Quran and thus we have made you a moderate <coughs> nation so here the major Islamic philosophy encompassing all human activities it is to adopt the middle path and even when it comes to food you know Muslims are of advised that they should avoid extremes of any kind and to adopt the middle path and for for the consumption of food it is the same case that when it comes to food choices we should make sure that uh, we have a moderation within our diet we have a balanced diet you know it should be consuming all plant and non-plant-based foods uh, so you should be having your meats you should be having your vegetables you should you should be having everything there should be moderation and this is what islam teaches and uh, if we look at uh, uh, the commandment of god almighty he says that uh, we sh- we should eat what is tayyab uh, that is food that is good and wholesome and something uh, may be halal, but it may not be tayyib, and thus should be avoided. And Islam teaches that the condition of the body affects the condition of the spirit. And thus great care should be taken to keep one's body uh, healthy and fit. And this is what uh, uh, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community, this is what he has mentioned in his book, The Philosophy and the Teachings of Islam. He says in in here that uh, you know man what what man eats has a very distinct and profound effect on him, and he further elaborates this and he says that if we look at various, uh, you know if if you look at various nations or people you know the the f- the the food has a huge impact like for example someone who eats extensively amount of meat a lot of meat, uh, you know the you will find maybe the characteristics of anger or you know courageous but you know these sort of characteristics will be found mainly within that nation whereas the vice versa uh, someone who is generally uh, fully on a plant-based diet that will also have an effect on him and explaining more on this uh, I wanted to quote from the book itself the philosophy and the teachings of Islam so the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the founder of the MD Muslim community, he writes in the philosophy and teaching Islam that our experience it shows that various diets 
definitely affect the faculties of mind and soul. And it should be understood that according to the Holy Quran, the natural state of man is intimately related to his moral and spiritual states, so much so that even his eating and drinking habits affect his moral and spiritual state. That is why the Holy Quran emphasizes the physical cleanliness and physical moderation for prayers and inner cleanliness and devotion. And after careful consideration, one concludes that it is that this is the true philosophy and that physical organs have a great effect on the soul. So very beautifully explains here that, uh, for example, if we uh, take, for example, cleanliness, our uh, physical cleanliness, you know, the, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said that your cleanliness is half of your faith. And reason for that is that uh, our external self it has a very profound effect even on our soul. So if we are looking after our physical cleanliness, then, you know, it will uh, have an impact on us as well. And, you know, we, we will also then look after our, uh, our our spiritual cleanliness. And that is why when we are doing the ablution, we also pray that Allah, Oh my Lord, make me among those who are the purified, um, and that when you're physically you're cleaning yourself, your hands, you're, you're rinsing your mouth, your face, you're praying that uh, not only that God make me uh, physically clean, but also purify me spiritually. So it, it is a very beautiful prayer there. And also, um, Muslims believe that everything in this universe is created by God Almighty. And human beings are placed in this world with a purpose to strive and become the best version of themselves. And to become the best versions of ourselves, we need to hone our spiritual, phys our physical, spiritual, intellectual, and moral and social f faculties and skills. And to help us maximize these faculties, God has provided us with various resources. And one of these resources is our physical body which is required to undertake the acts of righteousness, good deeds for our spiritual and moral progress. And to look after and enhance this precious resource, uh, meaning the human body, Islam provides a comprehensive guidance system. And food is one of the most important provisions for survival and health of the human body. And the Islamic system of guidance encourages human beings to consume food that is beneficial for their development and pro prohibits them from eating food that is detrimental to their physical, moral, and spiritual health. Manfred, if there's anything you wanted to mention on this, then please, please. Oh go yeah, ahead. further, you can say elaborating on the point where it says that tayyib and makru. So basically, there are four categories in Islam. So first up, regarding food, is lawful and unlawful, which is pretty famous. The other two are a bit complicated. The first one is the tayyib. And the second one is makru. So tayyab is whatever is preferred and makru is the opposite which is to be avoided. Now something which may be lawful in Islam but let's say you're ill and a doctor says don't drink juice for some reason. Now generally juices are good for you for your health but in that particular case it's not good for you so it's not tayyab for you so you shouldn't be consuming it. And further he says in the Holy Quran that which means that here the Holy Quran 
names a few edibles so fruits mainly so grapes vegetables olive and date palm and herbs so it says that mataul lakum waliyanamikum so provisions for you and your cattle plus there is a whole surah surah rahman chapter 55 of the holy quran which mentions all those provisions provisions and then says that which then of the favors of your lord will you deny so well i would say that people are a bit uh, careless with regards to consuming food they deny these favors by not taking full advantage from the provisions provided to them and eating unhealthy is obviously discouraged in islam and anything which is unhealthy or bad for your health is to be avoided at best thank you very much for that i think that uh, brings us near the uh, conclusion of this broadcast is that okay i have to ask for my boss uh, <laughs> Mandoki. Please, please yes. go ahead. Go ahead, go yes. Ahead, please. Have you been to the Ansar Ishtama, the uh, uh, gathering for the elders? Uh, no, and, I... Uh, oh, you, I should, you should go and uh, attend some of the breakfasts. I mean, oh dear, <laughs> it's very daunting. I, you I, know? Th- I think once I have, yeah. and, I, and I really, I was quite sh- amazed Shocked. that, you know, that... Uh, you know th- these are uh, uh, older brothers are getting such lavish food mm. you know where we're, we're just getting maybe uh, uh, you know the ordinary lentils here and there so <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, it's extraordinarily uh, uh, rich uh, the food um, so um, it's uh, yes quite daunting I, I I don't myself uh, partake of any of it but that's the only uh, a precaution I take. I, um, I'm, I'm afraid I'm too inclined to take barfi and uh, mutai, which is also something that I. It is for me. It's makru. No, it's not tayy for me, is it? <laughs> 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 okay, I'm just checking with the Imam Farid. Yes, so I should be very careful. Anyway, it brings us uh, uh, to the end of this uh, political broadcast. Um, Thank you very much uh, to all our listeners for joining. We discussed uh, two subjects, insufficient sleep in teenagers associated with being overweight and obesity. And then we also discussed the um, uh, parents adopting unhealthy food routines for family well-being in place of unaffordable activities. And uh, we were uh, graced with uh, a number of experts uh, They were uh, Dr. Manita Patel, uh, a nutrition and lifestyle medicine specialist. We were also joined by uh, Sonia Morris, who's a registered public health nutritionist. And then uh, we shared uh, um, recordings of two discussions that we had. One was with Dr. Davia or Daiva Nielsen, an assistant professor in the School of Human Nutrition. And then uh, we also joined, we were joined uh, by, or should I say, we heard the recording of Ms. Maria as well. So thank you to all of them uh, for their contributions. Um, thank you to our listeners uh, for joining in. Uh, and our engineer, mustn't forget our engineer, uh, Mohammed Shafiq, making sure that everything, uh, as far as the technical side, technical side of things is concerned, um, it runs smoothly. And most of all, let's uh, also give thanks to uh, our producer and her team. Nagis Nasser was the producer, and her team included Sadia Bakhtiar, Neha Latif, and Hannah Ahmed. 
Uh, I must also thank my boss, Toki Tarweer, and uh, the, our debutant, uh, Farid Ahmed. Um, he was not only joined us in spirit, but also gave us his vocal support. And I hope that KB is very happy and satisfied with his performance, I as uh, we were. I, I hope he was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So with that, uh, there's going to be a short, very short break. After that, we will have news. Assalamu alaikum from all of us.